The galaxy is burning. Brother fights brother, and treason splits the Imperium of Man. This is the Horus Heresy. Whether you're a warrior of the Legionis Astartes, an adept of the Mechanicum, or a mortal in a galaxy of madness, you'll find your place here. Welcome to the Remembrancer's Retreat, broadcasting deep within the bowels of the Vengeful Spirit. And welcome to another episode of the Remembrancer's Retreat. I'm Jesse. I'm joined by Jared, Jason, and Will. Hey, Hello. what's going on, guys? To kick things off today, we're going to go with uh, what we've been up to. So who wants to start first? Uh, Well, I guess I will. Um, this week saw the start and finish of my Battlefleet uh, Heresy fleet. I saw that. It looks f- spectacular. Thank you very much. Uh, it's been received pretty well by the community, so... Oh. <laughs> A little dog sitting. God, yeah. Dog sitting, right? It's like, stop it, you're not a part of this cast. <laughs> but she has a lot to say. Alright, so what she's been up to this week is, is much different. What's she been she, up to? She just got into heresy. Oh, yeah? Yeah, she's playing the Warhounds. Whoa! Wish I had a little womp womp button to play, yeah. but I don't. We need, we need a, a we'll upgrade to that. Board. But yeah, that's really just been it. Is uh, Just the Battlefleet, Gothic Fleet. And uh, yeah, um, I don't know. Like, I was supposed to go play today, but dog sitting, so I couldn't. Uh, yeah. You know, so I, I don't know. We'll see how the fleet turns out. Like I said, the ships are just like, I thought they looked the coolest. And that's it. Yeah. And that's a lot of the aspect of Battlefleet heresy anyway. Just pick what thinks looks cool. Exactly. It's more or less what you can scrounge up anyway. Yeah, off of eBay. And that kind of stuff. <laughs> exactly. But, uh, yeah, so I got a bunch of ships I didn't end up using, so I'll probably hand those out to the guys around here locally. Okay, cool. Cool. Uh, yeah, I ended up playing a little bit of uh, Battlefleet Heresy myself today. And uh, let's see. Played a three-way match with Austin and Steven, which was a lot of fun. It was like a pirate raiding mission that they found in a magazine, and they just wanted to try it out. So it was pretty insane. Uh, Just basically there was three Hulks in the middle of the field and just a race to get to them. One of those have actual, uh, like a data card that you're supposed to collect. That's your mission to find that and then try to make away with it. So I can't remember actually who won. I think Steven got the data, but I can't remember if he managed to make it out in time or not. Because while that was wrapping up, I was waiting for a game to play with uh, Robbie, part of the campaign, and that was a blockade run mission. And Robbie was the one who was running the blockade, and I was one guarding the area. And in that mission, for each ship or squadron you have, you roll a die, and it's the defender's area is divided into three sections. And based on that die roll is where you put your ships. I was more or less all in one corner, so Robbie deployed in the opposite corner, trying to run across the field, breaking my blockade. But he got a little bit greedy and decided to zoom his Cobras on at me. And I managed to blow a few of them, quite a few of them away before he managed to get his Dauntlesses out. So he won, but he definitely, uh, it was a costly victory for him. But he got a lot of renown for it. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah. I think he got like six renown in that one match. It was nuts. 
how much renown do you typically get out of a game? Um, I'm still early on in the game, so I can't really get a feel. But for the past two games, I haven't won, and I've gained one renown. Oh, so <laughs> I know Robbie played two games today, and I think he got like 13 renown. Yeah, he won both of his games. So, yeah. But other than that, also in the uh, Age of Darkness, I've been pulling out some of my old 40K stuff that I hadn't used in a while. I had a whole bunch of Raven or Ravenwing bikes. That was supposed to be a project way back when, and I managed to scrounge them up, salvage them up, slap some Mark IV bodies, torsos, helmets, and, uh, yeah, turn them into some Dark Angel Outriders. Yeah, I saw they look pretty good. Yeah, I'm really? looking forward to getting them all painted up. Were, uh, easy enough, huh? It really was, and they look great. I mean, you slap that Mark IV torso and head, and yeah, they look perfectly fine. I managed to also, I had a whole bunch of old Betrayal at Kalth boxes, and I managed to scrounge up enough multi melters to slap on the front of the bikes. And uh, uh, nice. I'm pretty happy with what they, how they look, so looking to try those out. This year at Nova, I'm trying to basically try different stuff that I haven't done before and just it's I'm going in this time around. It's my second convention and just based on the feel from the last year, it's like, there's no pressure here. I'm just go. I'm just going to go and have fun, drink, yeah, exactly. play. I'm not so here to win anything you guys for their first time. You guys were like, Oh man, I don't know what to expect. Is it going to be yeah. like, you know, like, yeah, like you said, like didn't know what to expect kind of thing. But now, you know, just chill, lay back, man. Yep. So, yeah, looking forward to it. What have you been up to, Jason? Oh, let's see here. Uh, mostly uh, kind of along the same lines, just uh, painting my battle fleet heresy stuff. Uh, as we speak, I'm currently uh, putting some bronze down on my uh, much maligned Terra battleship. Uh, it's uh, kind of the biggest ship I've painted so far. It's uh, almost a good six inches long. So uh, it's taking me a little bit of time. I'm going to try to take my time with it, make sure it looks all uh, pretty and dark mechanically. Very cool. But that's more or less it for me. It's been kind of a uh, hobby dry spell, other than a little bit of painting today. Gotcha. Jared, have you been up to anything? Well, uh, the ongoing ordeal to paint Rogaldorn continues. <laughs> I've got the goal. I was going to ask how it's going, but the fact that you're calling it an ordeal is kind of somewhat telling. It's an extremely yeah, fun bit. ordeal. It's an amazing model. Seriously, just 10 out of 10. It's The detail on it is truly insane. It's just intimidating mm-hmm. going into painting this thing. Um, but it took me forever to get a gold decided. I finally got that figured out and it's... it's there's like nine steps to just painting the gold and then you got to get the reds right. And I suck at painting red. I never get happy with it. So yeah, yeah it's just a, an ongoing thing. I'll have it done by Nova, but man, it's going to take forever. Um, <laughs> we believe in you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Jason and I actually got in an actual 30 K game last weekend, which was uh, mildly amazing considering our, our groups dry spell this summer. I forgot about that. Yes. It, how could you forget? It was so memorable. <laughs> it was pretty entertaining. Uh, it was the first time I've ever seen uh, a uh, Thanatar shot go so, so wrong. Oh, uh, oh do, do go on. What happened? Well, 
<laughs> so we were playing that mission. I forget exactly what it's called. It's like, um, Tide, is it Tide of Carnage? You have a five-point objective in your opponent's deployment zone, and there's only two objectives. Yes, you that have sounds one, right. Yeah. They have one, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Jared's was this little clock tower looking, and uh, I thought I was just going to shell everyone in there to oblivion, and uh, it didn't go so hot because uh, this was actually a, let's see, I was using my militia and a small uh, allied mechanical engine. Jared was using his militia and a small uh, Raven Guard allied force. And uh, it's interesting because Jared and I both use Survivors of the Dark Age and Alchem Jacker, but we have completely different army. Uh, mine is a little, how do I refer to it? A, uh, a fascist technocracy. Uh, pretty entertaining. And uh, Jared's are a bunch of uh, basically space heroin addicts. Crackheads, man. Crackheads. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, so I was uh, plowing across the field in my uh, land raiders with my little uh, mini space. And they all pile out, getting ready to assault the point. I'm like, I'm going to soften it up. Jared's got guys on like three levels of that clock tower. I'll drop a single uh, plasma mortar shell on it, kill like, you know, a good uh, 15 out of 20 of them. And uh, that. Thanatar shot drifted almost directly into the center of the squad I just disembarked out of the Land Raider. Oh, no. <laughs> I think it was an 11-inch scatter. Yeah. Oh, wow. It was amazing. It was rough. But it, it was almost like I could not have lined that up better to annihilate my own squad if I'd tried, and it uh, killed 9 out of 10 of them. Left the sergeant God. Oh, God. And uh, that was pretty much it. That game was uh, entertaining as hell, and it in a draw, which I felt was pretty fitting. Ah, totally. That game, pretty I don't crazy. think either of us could have rolled worse. Um, yeah, I don't think that would have been a possibility. It was pretty rough on both sides. Seriously. One assault phase, I failed four charges. Yeah, like, I was really bad. Like, even, like, a four-inch one, I, I failed it. Just just could not oh, no. Um, <laughs> you know, I had two Lehman Russ Vanquishers, and... I think the whole game, like five turns, they accounted for like three or four whole points. Even when they hit, they didn't, they didn't pierce armor. They, they were just, I was shocked. I kept, you know, Austin does pretty well with them. They, they did jack for me. It was real bad. Yeah. But the storm hammer was great. Oh, Every, yeah. Amazing. If you play in morals, go buy a storm hammer, like immediately, seriously. Even again, which one is the storm hammer? Oh, wait, the storm hammer is the giant fucking boat. On yeah, that's yeah. that's the one with all the guns all just yeah. bristled around, right? That I I really like going into this. I thought Jason was just going to table me turn two. He had four Medusa guns. He had uh, a bunch of automata. He had three land raiders. Am I am I remembering that right, Jason? Oh yeah, three land raiders. I got a trap for five. Once I get the uh, list all filled out. Yeah, wow. he has. So much. Yeah, I had massed infantry. I had 80 mortals, um, like 40 grenadiers, 40 basic infantry. You know, I, I thought I was going to get shot off the board just immediately. And it, it was a lot more even than I thought it was going to be. But mainly that was due to the storm hammer that, you know, the, the pinning main gun that has pinning and shred 
was just silencing whole squads because they they you know failed their pin checks, even if they weren't running away from the the Medusa guns. And the I brought a Leviathan and a drop pod, which helped big time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that I'm was sure it yes. That was an intensely fun game. Just can I ask, Jared? Do you run um, multi lasers or las cannons on it? Uh, las cannons, definitely. Yeah, what does it end up being? Like nine or eight las cannons? Uh, seven las cannons total. Okay, it's got gotcha. Seven, yeah. Three on wow. each side, and then one on the main hull, facing forward. Gotcha. Okay. It, yeah, it's pretty entertaining to see. It's just like bristling with guns in like the most entertaining way possible. Yeah, I imagine it'd be like a laser light show where just every you know it's a super heavy, so every gun's just shooting off in a different direction. Just hoping to get a six for an explode, just like blue and white lasers going everywhere. <laughs> oh, yeah. It legitimately looks like a ship from Battlefleet Gothic with treads. That's yeah, that's why I called it. Yeah, absolutely. And especially against Mechanicum, seriously, it took off. You brought what three Arl attacks? It killed. Oh yeah, I did bring like, three wounds off the next one. Um, you know it. it I mean, it, it just did to see so much work. Our Latax was as fun as it sounds like it would be. And it is, but they're not as great as I would hope. Uh, what was it? 40 militia with crack grenades went up against two Arl attacks, and it took four turns. Yeah. yeah. But we brought them down. <laughs> did you say that was one Arl attacks you went against? Two. Granted, one was down to one wound, so it was like five wounds total. Okay, but, gotcha. Yeah, that was like a four-turn combat. Yeah. Jason mentioned that he wanted to try running three, and I don't know if he, he you know, has tried that yet. Oh, yeah. So oh, yeah. yeah. The results are. It works way better against Astartes. Like, you plow into a big squad of, like, Terminators or something and kill eight of them, it's pretty much a done deal. But if you plow into a squad of militia, especially alchem jackers that are like stubborn plus uh and you kill eight of them they don't care right yeah like yeah. in the slightest i tell you my arlatex held out for four turns against um salamander terminators with storm shields and chain fist and all that stuff oh yeah, yeah. They, yeah. They, they, they definitely some... hold their own stuff. all right cool stuff dave glad to see you back here what have you been up to this week Hey guys, can you hear me? Yep, loud and clear. Okay, awesome. Yeah, hey, uh, so I got some Battlefleet Gothic games in, but uh, at the risk of uh, not turning this into a Battlefleet <laughs> Heresy podcast, uh, I have been warned I have to limit my <laughs> Battlefleet Heresy content. So, uh, so yeah, no, I got some great games in, man. I got a game against Pat, and I got a game against um, uh, two campaign games in, so... Uh, Pat is playing Orcs, and uh, we played a little uh, 750 raid, uh, which was great. It was a scenario out of Armada, which I highly recommend playing. It was it was a uh, scenario two paroles bait, and then um, I got a scenario in against Robbie today, which was just totally bloody. It was a fleet engagement, uh, so we both brought um, I think a thousand point fleets. I was the attacker. And I mean, it was just, it was devastating from the get go. Um, we had subplots, so those were fun because my subplot was a decoy. 
vessel. So I put a strike cruiser on the table. Uh, that was actually my decoy. Uh, Robbie went for it because it was also his subplot, which was uh, Vendetta. So apparently he <laughs> had a Vendetta against my decoy strike cruiser. Um, yeah, so it turned out to be a transport, right? So like minimally crude. And uh, we, we definitely laughed about that um, when that happened. So we both scored Renown for that, which is a great little mechanic um, of subplots. You don't get victory points, you get Renown. And then, um, yeah, so it was uh, it was fun. Robbie squeaked out the victory on that, which means he keeps his aggro world since I was the attacker. He was the defender. He stays uh, in possession of that world's resources. Um, and we both scored an insane amount of renown. I think he got like eight. And I know Will was asking earlier about like what's a normal amount of renown. I'd say like between five and eight. Anything more than eight is like pretty sick. You're doing well. Yeah. Um, so Jesse's nailing yeah. it right now. Then. Oh yeah, yeah. I've got a total of two renown. I think after two games. <laughs> Bala. Right. Yeah. yeah, but that's not bad, man. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. when you lose them, it's hard to get yeah. renown. So. Yeah, I mean, unless you can turn around any any day now. Unless it's like that Jack Sparrow thing where it's like you are without a doubt the worst admiral I've ever met. So your renown is huge. <laughs> they mention in the Battlefleet Gothic rulebook that your renown can never drop lower than one because you'll still be renowned just as a bad admiral. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, can't deny that. <laughs> but I mean, no. you're, you're ahead of me. I don't even have a renown. I don't, well, I guess technically one. You got to get a game in, Will. I know, I know. Oh, sorry, right. you got another week, man. Yeah, you don't want that fleet to be a bunch of pretty trailer queens. That's probably <laughs> what they're going to end up in. I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, that's what I've been up to. Um, 30K's been quiet, man. Uh, I feel like this is the calm before the storm, right? Everyone's getting ready for Nova, but nobody wants to play any games. It's yeah. like, don't, don't, <laughs> reveal, don't reveal your hand too early, you know? I uh, well. So uh, I don't know. I'm sure we'll get back into it, but I just I'm just super into BF uh, BFG right now. It's been good. It's uh, overall, it's been a little bit of a dry spell. What waiting for the new black book and everything? Haven't had too. Haven't had anything crazy come out yet lately. Like we had the uh, the termite come out, and that was a big deal for a little time. But yeah, I honestly, haven't seen anybody run them yet. So yeah. So the the yeah the latest thing is just the new rules for the armagers, right? Oh yeah. Well, have they in. released the armagers uh, yet? Not yet. I mean the rules for them, no, right? No. But, we, they did but it's coming. Both saying, get your models ready. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, and some people are just like going crazy getting armagers ready, and I think armagers are cool. I'm not a huge fan of the the new night chassis, but uh, no. that's just that's just me. That's just me. I know Jason is not a fan of them. He completely uh, picks them apart as often as he can. He says, "What the fuck is with that tiny dick shield it's got?" <laughs> it's a little goofy. I think with a proper thirty yeah. job, it will look better. I want to give it the benefit. The fact, of the the really. fact that it. Uh, Looks like it's larger, like it might be a Pafarin size, but it's still the same size as one of the standard GW knights, except its legs are closer together, 
which make it look like it's standing taller, like standing up straight. That's a part that I don't like, really. It's just like, I don't know. I imagined it bigger. Yeah. But uh, is that everybody? I think so. You, Jesse? What have you been up yeah. to? You already oh, told us, like right? Battlefleet Gothic and building up some bikes. There you go. All yeah. right. So, yeah. Well, uh, what are we doing today? We're definitely doing Heresy Grad School, right? That's for sure. Okay. We got well, Dave and Jason um, here. Yeah, let's go ahead, I guess, right? We can roll into that. Yeah. After, I don't know if you want to take a break or not. You can take a quick break. That's fine. Yes, please. <laughs> All right, guys, welcome back to the Remembrance Retreat. We've got Jason and David on for Heresy Grad School. What are we doing today, guys? Hey, Will. Thanks. Uh, today's episode of Heresy Grad School focuses on the third part of that triad ferrum we've been talking up throughout the Mechanicum. So we've done the Tagmata, and we've done the Legio Scutari. Now we're getting into the third part of that, the Collegia Titanica. So... Uh, one thing we talked about very, very briefly last time that we wanted to kind of flesh out a little bit, because we realized we went over it pretty quick, uh, but it comes in uh, pretty handy here to know about the High Council of Terra. So last time we talked about how uh, the Mechanicum on the Loyalist side, uh, it was a pretty big deal that they were granted an Adeptus faction status on the High Council of Terra. But to understand why that's a big sort of big deal, you gotta know what the High Council of Terra is in the first place. So this is kind of a little bit of fragmented through a couple of different sources in uh, the heresy. So in the 31st, it's obvious, it's run a little bit differently than it is in the 41st millennium. So in the 41st millennium, you've got several offices like the Ecclesiarchy, uh, the Inquisition that don't exist yet. Uh, oh, the... Uh, Office of the Adeptus Astronomicon also does not exist in 30K yet, so they don't really have a purpose on uh, on the High Council, since uh, you know the Emperor isn't uh, sat on the Golden Throne yet. But um, in essence, the High Council of Terra is run by Malkador. He's kind of the head of all of the goings on on Terra. And uh, he is charged by the Emperor to control everything from the workings of the uh, munitorium to make sure that everybody's getting supplied to the uh, Solaris militia to make sure the entire army is going where it needs to be to the Imperial Navy and everything in between. Uh, the council itself has several seats and it's a little murky on how many exactly there are in 30K. So in 40K, there are always 12 permanent seats. Uh, this was dictated by Gulliman uh, during M32 or so around the scouring. Uh, there are always 12 permanent seats, and nine of them are specific to a faction, uh, like the House of the Navigators or the Adeptus Telepathica. 
the Officio Assassinorium is one that also exists in 30K. Uh, little known to everyone else. Malkador heads that up as well, uh, as well as being the obvious sort of uh, head seat. Uh, but uh, referencing binary succession, which is terrific if you have any passion for the Mechanicum at all, uh, check out Binary Succession. It's about an hour-long audio drama, and it shows terrifically the illustration of how tough the Loyalist Mechanicum have once they've been shuttled off of Mars. Uh, because very early on in the heresy, Mars falls to the traitors, and the uh, Terran Mechanicum that have been shuttled off as a Loyalist and have set up shop there under the quote-unquote fabricator general, uh, former fabricator locum, uh, Zagreus Kane, uh, he heads up the Loyalist Mechanicum. Now, the reason it's a big deal to sit on the Council of Terra is because they are uh, ostensibly a representative democracy, uh, so far as it goes in the general going-on. Obviously, the Emperor controls most everything uh, in final form, but for stuff other than, like, the grand salvation of mankind, the High Council of Terra is where it's at for those decisions. So the Mechanicum loyalists feel like they're being bullied around and have gotten a pretty raw deal, considering they essentially make all of the, uh, all of the war material, everything from tanks and battle cruisers in the Imperial Navy, uh, down to like imperial mining vehicles to, you know, just day-to-day -day objects that the uh, humanity uh, of the Imperium uses to go about their day. And they feel almost like a slave case, and they have no say whatsoever in the direction the Imperium is going to take, despite the fact that ostensibly they are supposed to be allies instead of a vassal state. Uh, as sat down by that uh, the uh, Treaty of Olympus that we talked about last time when uh, the Emperor originally showed up on Mars. So that's why this is such a big deal uh, for the Mechanicum to become an Adeptus faction and have a seat on the Council. Now, one of the biggest reasons they don't want to do it, uh, the Council at large does not want the Mechanicum to become an Adeptus faction, is because... In 30K, it was just very recently that the Adeptus Arbites, the uh, you know, Drudge Dread Space Police, uh, had their seat approved, and it was a huge upset in the uh, political dynamics of the High Council. So Binary Succession illustrates, and I won't spoil it, but how uh, the Mechanicum on Terra becomes the Adeptus Mechanicus, and why, in fact, that technically there is no such thing as the Dark Mechanicus. Uh, the Traitor Mechanicum never underwent uh, adeptitization, so they are not an adeptus faction. They remain a Legio Mechanicum. So, all of that aside, uh, that's a big deal for the Loyalist Mechanicum. What's also a big deal is the Collegia Titanica, because uh, one thing that Again, Binary Succession and two, uh, Graham McNeil's novel Mechanicum. I know we've referenced that a lot, but it's spectacular. Uh, anything you want to find out about the Mechanicum in the heresy, Graham McNeil's novel is where probably three-fourths of it comes from. 
uh, it kind of sets the precedent on so many things that come uh, into fruition for the Mechanicum later in the heresy timeline. But uh, so big thing to know right out of the gate about the Collegia Titanica. Uh, in 40k and of course in 30k that we've talked about uh, it is an adeptus faction but they do not have a seat on the high council uh, they are actually considered uh, and they consider themselves an ally of the mechanicum almost like uh, what the imperium and mechanicum alliance could have been had everything gone to plan you know the emperor not been an enormous dick so uh, the Collegia Titanica, or uh, the Adeptus Titanicus, it's actually uh, uh, supposed to be short for Adeptus Mechanicus Collegia Titanica, is their whole official Mars-given name. Uh, they were originally created by the Mechanicum themselves to retake Mars uh, kind of during the Age of Strife. And the cult Mechanicum itself was pretty new at that time. Uh, it was essentially the humans that had been cut off from Terra, and they were stuck on Mars, uh, they weren't very uh, populous. Their population density was pretty low. They were struggling to stay alive now that they were cut off and basically on their own. And the way the cult Mechanicum formed was a religion around the technology and the machines that were required for their survival. So when your entire existence depends on like the aquifer machine that keeps you know your matt damon poop potatoes alive then that's a pretty decent foundation for a religion in their eyes so as this cult grew up around these machines that were required for their survival they started into augmentation and once they got a little more established and started to take back mars they created the original three titans uh, we've talked about one of them before, Legio Mortis, uh, also uh, Legio Ignatum, the Fire Wasps, and uh, Legio Tempestus are the original three. And what's interesting, too, is they're still, uh, in 30K, they're still housed on Mars in a uh, pretty cool little uh, nod to uh, nerds who appreciate uh, astronomy. The... Tharsis Montes is actually a trio of volcanoes, like on the actual planet Mars, uh, made up of three different, uh, well, three different volcanoes, uh, the Ascraeus Mons, the Pavonis Mons, and Arcea Mons. And each of these three volcanoes are home to a Legio. So Legio Tempestus is held in Ascraeus Mons, that's their forge temple. Uh, Pavonis Mons is actually where Legio Mortis is set up. And, um, well, I take that back. The last one, the largest, Arcea Mons, is actually the one, if you've read through Mechanicum, that uh, Majos Zeth brings back from dormancy to act as her forge. That's the volcano that the Magma City is built into. And uh, just for a little comparison, uh, most folks know about Olympus Mons, that's the largest, pretty much the largest uh, volcano in the solar system. Uh, it's also the seat of the Fabricator General's uh, forge vein. Like, on Holy Mars, that's the largest forge vein out of the entire universe. So, for a little bit of comparison, uh, on Earth, uh, the Mauna Loa 
think I'm pronouncing that right, but a volcano in Hawaii, it's about 120 kilometers in diameter. And from dead bottom of the seafloor to the top, it's about nine kilometers. So compare that to Arsiamon, is the one the Magma City is built into. Uh, that's actually 375 kilometers in diameter, and it's about 25 kilometers from top to bottom. So pretty big size difference. Um, now, following along uh, that kind of range here, uh, the original three legios that we talked about uh, they're all rated in size, no matter what legio you look at. Uh, by the time of uh, just a couple decades into the Great Crusade, there are about 20 legios that have either been uh, refounded or rediscovered by the Martian Mechanicum. And all of them were organized kind of similarly to those original three, the Triad Ferrum. And they're all rated in size based on both engine strength and the type of engines they used. So uh, something like Legio Mortis or Legio Destructor is said to be the largest out of all of them. Uh, they have 200 or more engines, and some of the smallest have maybe a dozen. And those ranks go in range from uh, Primaris at the top to Dinari at the bottom uh, for those little small like dozen engine Legios. But again, that also takes into account the Titan classes. Uh, something like Legio Mortis is uh, actually... Uh, it's very rare to have like an Imperator type. Uh, there are actually a couple of super rare ones. Uh, Legio Mortis is one of the only known legions to have an Apocalypse class type. And nobody's really sure what that is, but it sounds terrific. Uh, the bulk of most legios are made up of warlords. That's considered the sort of mainline battle titan, as you would have like a main battle tank in a uh, tank battalion. Uh, but also, they're, of course, supported by Reaver and Warhound class. And there are variant classes of, like, the Warlord, like the Nemesis and the Night Gaunt are two that get tossed around and kind of, you know, brought up in fluff occasionally. Uh, the Nemesis being kind of like a long support and siege variant on the Warlord. And the Night Gaunt's a more uh, close-ranged, uh, quote-unquote, lighter uh, close combat variant. But, you know, a light version of a Titan is still... Uh, Pretty heavy to everyone else. But uh, getting along the same sort of idea of an alliance between the Collegia Titanica, who, again, they consider themselves separate from the Martian priesthood. And uh, we talked last time about how uh, it's almost hypocritical the way uh, the imperial truth was spreading throughout. Uh, there is no religion. There's, all, there's only science of the imperial truth. where ostensibly half of the Imperium at the time in the Mechanicum was a, a technological robot church. But um, the Mechanicum really need the Imperium because while they have this massive uh, forge complex that they can crank out technology, they have the Titan legions, uh, they don't have the population density to make something like the Great Crusade viable. Uh, they're struggling to populate Mars itself, where in the other direction, uh, the Terran industrial complex, it doesn't have anywhere the capacity needed to um, finance or produce uh, war materiel or even ships to make a undertaking like the Great Crusade possible. So 
this is where that really uneasy alliance between the Mechanicum and the Imperium really comes into its own. They kind of support each other's weaknesses in that way. And while there are a lot of problems in that ostensible alliance, uh, it gets the Great Crusade going. And like we said, there's about uh, 20 or so Titan Legions that have been discovered a couple decades in. Uh, and some of these newly rediscovered forges refuse Mars, uh, just like any other planet brought to compliance. Some refuse, some like welcome the Imperium with open arms. Uh, and some knew about them from like really old legends or uh, old archaeotech documents that have just been hanging around on planet. But um, while each of these legios are kind of uh, almost like space marine legions, and they have their own characteristics, they have their own uh, organizational structures on how they like to wage war. Like Legio Audax is famous for just having Warhound Titan. They're like a very fast assault recon, uh, where something like Legio Mortis has a lot of really heavy upper-end battle types. Even though they have different characteristics, there are a lot of similarities that stay the same between the legios. Uh, and that brings us to organization, the maniples. So maniples are ideally uh, deployed as five engines on a combat footing. Uh, this partly, but mostly, uh, five is sort of seen as the number of destruction in the Omniscient machine cult, where some cultures see like seven is lucky, 13 is unlucky, uh, five is the sacred number of destruction. And uh, each of those battle deployments is several maniples, which are led by a princeps senioris. Uh, in the crew of an individual titan, you have a princeps that commands the titan itself, and if you're looking at a warhound, you have about seven other crew. Uh, you've got a moderati who commands each weapon. And you have several tech priests uh, that are there to maintain all the specific rights and, you know, of the weapons themselves, of the reactor cores. And everybody in the Titan, which is kind of interesting and, uh, you want a little bit more insight on this i know we talked about it a lot last time but uh check out panic by dan ab i think it was out in 2002 or so so it's pretty old and technically 40k but still amazing in every way uh every titan crewman is hard link uh to the titan itself there's no uh new spheric interface the mechanicum wi-fi it's kind of entertaining in the way um if you've ever checked out like a uh, fighting game tournament, like for Street Fighter or some such, you'll notice every single person uses a wired controller instead of a uh, wireless or Bluetooth controller uh, for that uh, very tiny, minute uh, reaction time difference. Same thing here, apparently. Uh, but outside of that uh, individual crewman, uh, each Titan has like a massive support crew. So last time we talked about the Secutari, the Titan Guard. Uh, not only are the Titan Guard there, but you've also got an entire wing of tech priests called the Autocratori. And uh, they consider themselves, again, completely separate from the Martian priesthood. Uh, their entire lives and being is around the worship of these Titans, who they literally refer to as God Machines. And they're seen as avatars of the Omnissiah's will as a destroyer god. 
And under the autocratory, you have a section of tech, uh, tech thralls called the scutari. Not the secutari, but the scutari. Uh, these are tech guard in the same way that the uh, scutari are just for uh, engineering duties, uh, like labor, trenching, uh, building defenses for the uh, Titan drop sites, things like that. Uh, as well, a lot of Titan legios have bonded night houses in the same way that the Mechanicum has indentured night houses. Uh, the legios use them almost, um, if, uh, it's kind of an entertaining thought to consider a knight, uh, an imperial knight, like a, uh, a light skirmisher or a scout, but that's exactly what the Titan legios use the bonded night houses for. And uh, so for each of these crewmen, there's actually uh, a very strict structure that they go by, and each princeps and each moderati has their own list of honor. And this is where Dave has done a lot more research uh, than I have on the uh, honor banners and the kill banners for the individual titans. So uh, I'm going to turn it over to him and let him lay down some knowledge on these things. Jason uh, just finished doing the overview on um, Collegia Titanica, some of the, the deep lore there, and uh, how they fit into the overall Bellicosa Potentis Omnissia. Um, just really cool stuff. Uh, but what I wanted to do is uh, something that I've really been interested in for a long time. So I, I, I went down the rabbit hole. And what we're going to do is we're going to decode uh, Titan banners. So the first thing to know is uh, that there are there there are generally two types of Titan banners um, that you'll see. So you'll see what is known as an honor banner uh, or a princeps banner, and then you'll you'll see also a kill banner. Um, so there's a lot of great lore here, but before we start exploring the black book uh, black books, I want to just go ahead and tell you guys a few things. Um, reavers and warlords and warhounds all have um, certain iconography that will, uh, that at least historically, all the way back into the days of uh, Adeptus Titanicus and the, and the old school epic scale games, um, have identified them on the battlefield. So, um, a a warhound will have sort of what looks like a um, an inverted uh, E or castle, um, like an upside down crenellated castle. Uh, reavers typically have leftward facing axes, and warlords have crossed axes. Um, and we'll see that on some of the, the honor banners and even on some of the kill banners uh, as we go through the black books. But that's important to know up front. So the first thing I want to talk about, guys, is, is just how much love Horus Heresy has given uh, the Titan Legions. So I think it's awesome that Adeptus Titanicus is re-releasing uh, in the Horus Heresy because really... 
um, Forge World, the Forge World team, and the Horus Heresy has really given the Titan Legions the kind of treatment and love that they just wouldn't have gotten anywhere else. So, you know, starting with book one and Legio Mortis, and then going through the Black Books, every single Black Book, uh, except book six, which is sort of an outlier, sort of an anomaly anyway, um, has featured Titan Legions, sometimes multiple Titan Legions, um, as we got in uh, in book seven. But so the first thing I want to do, guys, is talk about book seven, because it's sort of, it's it's the, as far as Titan Legions go and the, the lore, it is by far uh, the, the peak of... Uh, of Titan Legion. So what we did is we returned to Legio Mortis, right? Everybody's, um, well, maybe not everybody's favorite Legio, but, uh, but certainly up there in terms of popularity. And we got just beautiful full color spread of a Warlord Titan, which we hadn't seen up until this point. So we'd seen a lot of Reavers, we'd seen a lot of Warhounds, but but no one, Imperial Armor, Forge World, uh, in any of their publications, Games Workshop, had never done a full-color plate uh, of a Warlord Titan. And uh, in Book 7, we got the very first one. So Cadaverous Perdita, um, the Warlord Titan uh, that was uh, the command titan for the detachment that went into Zawarkad. Uh, that was part of the burning of Prospero, right? So it was part of the Prospero censure host, ostensibly on orders from Warmaster Horus, um, but uh, attached to the censure host and and certainly was was there um, under those auspices. But on page 108 and page 109 uh, in book seven, we get uh, three different banners, right? So this is huge. So we can start to make links. So we get Cadaverous Perdita's honor banner. And right off the bat, let's just talk about that, right? So on the, on, in the very top, you've got Mortis. You've got the Legio Mortis emblem and some beautiful skull iconography on top. You've got the name of the Titan, Cadaverous Perdita. And then going down, you've got a Mechanicum skull, um, and on the right, you've got something that could be a princeps icon, or it could be another form of, uh, of, of the overall detachment. We don't really know. But what we do know is when you get down into the crossed axis, that's very traditionally a warlord titan. Um, now, the blacked out crossed axis means that that's the, that is cadaverous perdita. Um, and the fact that it's at the top of that, uh, I guess, hierarchy, right? So the two crossed axes and then the two white axes below that, the two battle axes below that, and then the two, um, I don't know, really inverted uh, E's, which are, those are, those are war, uh, Warhound, <coughs> excuse me, markers. So that would be the detachment that is under Cadaverous Perdita. So you could see by the crossed axes, the crossed battle axes, uh, that Cadaverous Perdita is the only warlord in that detachment, that it has two reavers underneath it, and underneath that it has two more warhounds. So it's a battle mana pool of five, which Jason talked about as being the, uh, the number of destruction. 
Uh, so super cool uh, linkage and lore there. And it just shows you guys the respect that Forge World pays and the detail that they, uh, you know, um, go into in, in, in these books. Um, whatever, whatever else you want to say about the rules or whatever, man. I mean, for the thing that Forge World gets right is the fucking lore. Um, so that's that's awesome. Now, uh, we jump across the page to uh, uh, Shran of Honor, right? And you can see that that is the Warhound, obviously, because it, it is a Warhound. Um, but you could see it also because as you go down their Honor banner, um, it's the the icon for a warhound is blacked out so you can see it's one of two warhounds and it's blacked out on that honor banner uh, and then you jump over to the reaver uh uh and you can see that one of those battle axes is blacked out on the left hand column of the honor banner so that's how you decode um what titans are in what detachment for uh, purposes of uh, battle maniple and how they and how they rank right so the warlord is obviously uh, commanding that detachment and we know that from from the fluff there too um now what the skulls represent guys is is uh the skulls that are in embedded in the in the body of the honor banner they're just kills now they could be kills of other titans because you know, we are into sort of the Great Crusade and, and heresy at this point, but I don't think so. I don't think we're that far into the heresy that those skulls would represent um, Titan kills. I think those skulls probably represent um, campaigns, compliance missions, uh, victories that that Titan has been a part of. So those would be more like victories or compliance missions that battle zones perhaps that that titan participated in rather than individual kills which is what the kill banner is for and that those skulls uh at least for mortis mortis tracks everything with skulls they love skulls so those skulls would stay with the titan as part of that titan's honor banner um regardless of who the princeps was so the princeps um you know may or may not um you know, die, but that, that honor banner is going to be there. And then some of the iconography off to the left and the right, those little mini banners that are hanging down on, on Cadaverous Perdita, um, those certainly could be litanies. Uh, they could be oaths of protection. Um, they could be any number of thing. And that's what usually the, the fine writing is underneath the, um, the sword, uh, the Titan sword. Uh, those, those are what those would be the words that you certainly can't make out um yeah guys that's sort of how you decode the uh the honor banners so you've got uh the lead command titan lead element of the detachment and uh and the the traditional crossed axes the battle axes and the uh the warhound icons there and we'll sort of see variations as we go through but um Let's go ahead and take a look at the other Titan Legion that's featured in book seven. Now this is amazing guys, because this is literally breaking new ground. So what Forge World did in book seven is give us a completely new Titan Legion. Um, so they gave us Legio Zestabiax, right? So that's something that 
you know, in the past Forge World would have done in, in Imperial Armor, like in the Badab Wars, they would have given us a new Space Marine chapter or or maybe a new Imperial Guard regiment like the Elysian Drop Troopers. In the Horse Heresy, they can't really do that, right? You know, the legions are kind of, they're fixed. It's history. We know, you know, we know who they are. And give us cool, like, you know, little side stories and, and little vignettes and fluff. Uh, but they can't give us a whole new legion. But that's what they did here. They gave us a whole new Titan legion, Legio Zestabiax from Zhao Arkad, and it's just so fucking cool. Um, so we've got two things: we've got an honor banner and a kill banner, uh, which is which is cool. So if we look at the honor banner for uh, Septim Callistius uh, Us. And uh, I have not tried to translate that from High Gothic. Um, if anybody wants to go ahead and translate that from High Gothic and tell me what you think that means, go ahead and post it up on the notes page uh, for the Remembrancers retreat. And uh, we'll see if we get you a shout out in the next one, if I think you got it close. Uh, but yeah, so, so what we see here is very unique iconography that would be uh, well within keeping with uh, Zhao Arkad's uh, really deep lore and and sort of history on the on the fringe and the frontier of uh, of space. So we don't know what each of the iconography, each one of the icons means. We can kind of guess at it. Uh, my favorite icon in uh, Septim Callistius Wis honor banner is, of course, the red icon. That's got to be a demon. Right. I mean, it's just look at it and it's got to be a demon. Um, there are a few things there that could be dragons, uh, could be serpents, uh, tyranids. We're not sure. Um, now, the cool thing about this Titan, this Reaver Titan, that's unlike some of the or the most of uh, most of the other Titans that were in Jawar Kod in the, in the deep veins underground is this Titan uh did participate in compliance missions during the great crusade so it did go with the thousand sons out in uh in the great crusade and 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 you know go on several different compliance missions so we're not sure i like the the, the tooth the fang thing could be orcs um but uh but yeah your imagination is really sort of left to wonder here and the other thing your imagination is sort of left to wonder here is uh, with the really unique, um, so we're going to go back to the honor banner now, the really unique iconography for the battle maniple. So I think if you look at the left-hand side, um, you'll see a gold, uh, you know, the three um, bars, right? So. So I think that's got to be the Reaver Titan because it sort of follows the same uh, logic, right? So it's gold, so it's got to be um, that. So it's got to be a Reaver. Then there's probably a Warlord somewhere on top of that battle maniple, but it's and then there are three Warhounds underneath it. So already Legio's Estabiax is not following the traditional five uh, battle maniple uh, number of destruction. They've got six in this detachment if if my logic is is sound on that now the kill banner is unique um because it's actually got more kills um on the banner than there are victory uh markings on the honor banner 
So, and that's, you know, that, that doesn't necessarily conflict. The logic could be that, you know, those kills are individual kills and you could have multiple kills within a, within a compliance mission. And usually the honor banner would mark a single, you know, a single battle or a single compliance. So you could have multiple kills within that. I think what's interesting though, is that that demon icon is not represented on the, um, uh, on the kill banner for that uh, looks like a Inferno Cannon. I'm going to go with, uh, no, yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, I'm kind of spacing out right now. It's not a Volcano Cannon. It's not a Gatling Blaster. Um, it's not a um, Turbo Destructor. So I think that is a Inferno Cannon. Not a plasma, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So that I think they're burning them out there. Um, all right. So probably enough on Legio's Estebiax there. So much goodness, guys. Uh, we're going to post a lot of this in the show notes and suggestions for further reading. Um, but you know, in book one, we've got Legio Mortis and the War Manipul War Manipul Feramori on page one forty to one forty one. In book two, we've got the War Manipul Red Naga. Uh, that's from Legio Ataris, and they're on page 158 to 159. Neither one of those uh, treatments uh, feature um, banners, though. So they're just going to be talking about uh, the Manipuls. Now, the thing is, we, when we get to book three and Legio Ataris, we get some amazing treatment of banners. Right, so we've got the kill banner um, of the Damatas Revok, and uh, we can start to decode that there with uh, Legio Ataris's unique iconography. We've also got a victory banner, um, which would be an honor banner, and a personal standard for the Princeps Senioris of the Paladin Argentus. So, so uh, so Legio Ataris is a very old Legio. It's a storied Legio. And so a lot of the iconography here um, is traditional. But you see, instead of the, um, at least in the honor banner, instead of the, the battle axe and the crossed axe and the uh, inverted um, whatever symbol for the uh, Warhound Titans, uh, you see chess pieces, right? Which is so fucking cool, man. Um, and you see, again, this battle maniple is, is got a, uh, it's got a queen piece. It's got four knights, um, one of which is the Paladin Argentus as a reaver. And then it's got three pawns, uh, ostensibly warhounds, right? So there's a battle maniple, or it could be a war maniple, um, of, uh, of, of eight titans, right? So the numbers are not necessarily fixed, guys. But what you do see when you get to the personal standard of Princeps Senioris uh, is you do see that reaver, the traditional reaver icon of the, um, the battle axe, the single edge battle axe. So very cool there. There's some other iconography there that could be anything we just don't know. Um, or I don't know. If you do know, let me know uh, what that little gear, like the cog wheel there is, um, if you think you know what that might be. But uh, that's Legio Ateris treatment in book three. In book four, we get to Legio Tempestus, right? One of the triad Theram Morgalis. And we get some beautiful treatment 
um, here of War Manipul, uh, Telus Epsilon, uh, which is a traitor element, actually, <laughs> interestingly enough, for, for Tempestus. Uh, but we do get, we get both an honor banner and a kill banner for the Titan uh, Odri, Odrisian, Odrisian. And, um, you know, what's interesting here is that the, uh, the Vulcan, it's not a volcano cannon. Uh, it's, it's, I think it's incorrectly labeled here because I don't think that's a volcano cannon. I think that's a, a, a turbo reaver, turbo laser blaster, um, and then a Gatling cannon. But the kill banner is on the turbo laser blaster. Um, but those might be two different Titans that I'm looking at now that I think about it because that's a different Titan. Okay, so we're good. Um, and then the, you know, the moderati here. So each moderati obviously is assigned to a, a specific weapon system. You know, if you were to, to take the, the head off the reaver and look inside the cockpit, uh, there'd be a princeps hardwired into the MIU, and there'd be two moderati who are also hard linked into, uh, into their weapons uh, systems. And so those kill banners are specific to the moderati. Uh, they take it... Uh, you know, pretty seriously. It's a, it's a, you know, it's a big deal for a moderati uh, to, you know, I guess bragging rights in the uh, in the pub, right? But um, yeah. So that's really cool treatment there. In uh, book five, we get Legio Presagius, and we get both uh, an, an honor banner specific to Princeps Owine Brolin, and we get a kill banner uh, for Moderatus uh, Morvane who is fortunately deceased. Um, so just amazing lore, guys. I haven't even gone through all this lore, right? And it's just so much. And I love fucking Titans, right? So but I just haven't gotten through all this. But um, yeah, guys, I'm, I'm going to leave it there. And I hope you have enjoyed this little mini heresy grad school segment on decoding titan banners um something that i think any uh self-respecting uh titan owner should be able to do and then if you you know you go deeper into the lore you start building your own titan um yeah you know now you know how to do it so badass So the last thing we need to go over, organizationally speaking. So from the banners to the crew to the maniples to the legios, the overall organization of the Collegia Titanica itself. So uh, like we said, each legio has its own characteristics, and uh, they're bonded to apparent forge world, uh, again, separate from both the Imperial Army and again, while they consider themselves uh, the uh, Collegia Titanica representatives in the binary succession, uh, refer to the alliance between the Mechanicum and the Collegia as the oldest alliance, but uh, they don't see themselves as the same thing. However, uh, they are separated into four different divisions, uh, like as the uh, Collegia itself as a whole, You've also got uh, within the Collegia these four divisions of the Militaris, the Mandati, the Investigatus, 
and the telepathica. So the biggest arm uh, is the militaris. Uh, this is consisting of the Titans themselves uh, and all of the support crew we talked about. So like the Autocratori Magi, the Scutari laborers, and uh, so on. Then uh, also you've got a second uh, largest branch, the Mandati. Uh, this is kind of like the uh, executive branch. Uh, they are in charge of diplomacy. So in binary succession, the representatives from the Collegiate Titanica uh, while they themselves are princeps, they are beholden to this division, the Mandati. Uh, they actually are seen as the sort of ambassadors for the Collegia Titanica while on the crusade itself. Uh, again, uh, separate but allied to the Mechanicum. Uh, they're, all, they're almost considered like the sort of uh, missionaries, if you will, of the uh, Collegia. But uh, the uh, Telepathica Divisio is very, very small, and they deal specifically with Psy uh, Titans. So if you guys remember way, way back, uh, the brief mention uh, during our item on Legio Zestabiax, how they eventually met their end at the hands of Legio Sinister, uh, the Divisio Telepathica is actually the Divisio in charge of the Psy Titans, like the Legio Sinister. And uh, lastly, is their sort of R&D department, the Investigatus. So again, last time we talked a little bit about how uh, the idea that innovation is heresy is a little bit of a misnomer. Uh, there are still technological advancements going on, and within the Collegia, the Divisio Investigatus is where this is happening. Uh, a lot of the time, uh, don't consider them just, uh, you know, scientists back home, like, uh, let's see, uh, like Q for James Bond, uh, you know, whipping up different things to send out. But they're actually a militarized Divisio themselves, and they are in charge of field research, essentially, uh, combat field research. And they try uh, all of these new... R&D developments they've come out with uh, in battle for field research. So altogether, these four different divisios themselves work together to make up the Collegia Titanica as a whole and to deal with outside influences like the Imperium at large or typically uh, the Divisio Mandati are the guys that act as ambassadors to work back and forth between the Mechanicum, the Martian priesthood at large, and the Collegia. But uh, altogether, I think that is a pretty decent look down to like the minutia of a banner all the way up to the Collegia itself, how it's organized. Uh, Dave, you got any final thoughts for us? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, Jason and I uh, did a lot of research on this one, so there's going to be a lot in the in the show notes for uh, further reading. Um, Titanicus by Dan Abnett is like the architecture, um, so you want to read it, even though it's 40k, because it really it, it's it's all about Titans. Um, how you hard link into the MIU, or if you don't hard link into the MIU. You know, what are the various forms of uh, interface connection uh, with the Titan 
And, you know, it's basically casket. So being interred in amniotic gel. Right. Um, That's something before we go any farther, I almost forgot. And I underlined it and I didn't want to uh, <laughs> skip it. So I love how Dan Abnett kind of, you know, sets the uh, precedent for a lot of this stuff. Um, I believe if it's out there, I've not found another uh, reference to it, but I believe this is where the idea of the manifold link having its own sort of personality that uh, influences the princeps come in. So the MIU is actually a big sort of collective intelligence. Uh, the manifold link and the Titan uh, individual Titans have their own personalities. Uh, like uh, warhounds are supposedly uh, sort of feral and aggressive, and they try to influence their princeps with these animalistic tendencies to pack hunt, to attack from ambush, things like that. Um, but not only that, uh, in the manifold, there's the stored intelligence and memories of all of the princeps, or at least echoes of those princeps to come before them, and they all build on them. So, um, that princess yeah. in the Titan itself has this huge range of experience to draw from, but also he runs the risk of becoming subsumed by those intelligences that kind of drowned out his over decades and decades of influence. Yeah, no, it's really, it's really cool. Cause they, they almost form like a gestalt intelligence, right? So it's right. It's the princeps as well as the, the anima of, of the machine and uh and all the previous princeps you know that their consciousnesses are still somehow you know linked um i I love that part about it man i do too is that like even princeps from decades or centuries ago are still there in even if it's just a small echo of their like experiences or thoughts they're still there and, uh, oh, one more uh, tiny detail that I didn't want to skip that I thought was just completely inconsequential to the grand scheme of things, but cool and hilarious and something I think only Dan Abnett would do. Um, there are two ways for a princeps to link with his titan, either a hard link like his moderati, or as they get older, uh, they undergo a process called entombment, where they are... Uh, like Dave was talking about, uh, encased in the uh, nutrient gel in a casket and uh, basically become a living part of the Titan. Now, their caskets can still be uh, taken out for maintenance and whatnot, but that's more or less their lives now. They live inside those caskets uh, to the point where their muscles start to atrophy and they can't move outside of that nutrient suspension gel. But what's uh, really interesting in uh, Titanicus is they, uh, one of the characters comes across a uh, warlord princeps that has been uh, suffered massive damage and has been thrown clear of his casket. And uh, they're trying to, you know, triage and uh, you know, bring him back to at least stabilize him to movement, and they can't get his blood pressure back up. And their uh, tech priest that's with them tells them, it's like, Oh, no, I've run a diagnostic. His, uh, his PFO is still open. And, of course, they have no idea what that is. But um, in, uh, when a child is in, a, in the womb, 
they have this little bypass in their heart. It's called the patent foramen ovale uh, because a child in a womb is not breathing. Their lungs don't inflate, obviously, but uh, also they don't need as much of a blood flow to go uh, into them because they're not functioning. It's just kind of running at sort of a maintenance level. And this cool little detail that Dan Appen inserted was that um, Titan princeps that have undergone entombment, uh, they have a patent foramen ovale artificially uh, reopened because they don't use their lungs anymore. They're maintained entirely by this nutrient gel. And that's why they couldn't get his uh, blood pressure to stabilize because the guy hadn't been outside of his nutrient casket for probably decades. And uh, yeah, just drinking the baby gel. Yeah. What? So, what I love about Dan Abnett, I mean, among so many other things, is just the level of detail and research he'll go into, and then the 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 architecture that he leaves behind. So, the Titan Legion that basically comes to uh, save Tempestus to save their ass on Orestes. Um, which is just an awe. I think we talked about that a long time ago, Jason, in one of our previous uh, episodes is uh, Legio Tempestis ends up becoming um, uh, the protector of Orestes Forge. Right, um, right. So, so they're gifted that. But then Legio uh, Invicta comes and uh, they come from a forge world called Proximus. And apparently Proximus is able to manufacture uh uh titan legions or titans but all the titans that proximus forge manufactures can only be piloted with the casket or you know the internment process um so i don't know if that's and they say they say it's a legacy from darker times and so i'm just going oh man it's so good you know, when are we going to see Invicta in the heresy? But uh, I don't know, probably never. But still, my hope is that one day we'll see Invicta I mean, in the heresy. The man created the idea of Vox casters. And I mean, it amazes me, not to a uh, fanboy too much, but <laughs> even if you had no idea what a Vox caster is, it's just such a perfect science fiction-y word that fits right in where it should. And just, I mean, it's a staple of pretty much everything. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, we're lucky to have him, man. Um, <laughs> and Graham McNeil and Aaron Dembski-Bowden and fucking all the guys that write for Black Library, they're just amazing. And um, yeah, just little stuff like that. So, um, no, man, I'm good. Yeah, I think cool. that is a wrap for us, guys. Awesome. Well, thanks, guys. Thanks for imparting all that knowledge. That was pretty good information there. Can't wait for the next one. All right, folks, we're going to take a break, and uh, we'll be back here after this. All right, folks, we are back. We're here with Dave of Black Label Painting and Will here to talk about uh, painting like a pro and starts uh, the basic up. So what's going on guys? Uh, what we're going to be doing today is the hardest part of painting an army. 
and Dave and I were just talking, and we both pretty much agree that this is probably the hardest part, and that is picking the color scheme and what army you're going to be themed, you know? Yep. It's always the hardest to figure out what Legion, because there's, it's like, you want to be like Pokemon, I want to pick them all, but you got to pick one. Luckily, Betrayal of Kalth has made it easier. I mean, technically, you could buy 18 boxes of Betrayal of Kalth and have 18 Legions, you know? But <laughs> if, you're all, yeah. if you're calling out of control and don't have a life, yes, you could. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but what we're getting at is we have this one box of Betrayal of Kalth, and we have Basikarin. Uh, yep. And so we're going to get into like how you go about picking an army. And then from there, you you know, picking your army is the easy part. Like Space Marines, uh, Mech, Solar Auxilia, you just pick what looks coolest, right? In this hypothetical scenario, we've picked Space Marines because they are the most prevalent amongst 30k. Uh, yeah. That is the easy part, I think. Now the harder part becomes which legion do I want to paint the most, right? And I think, yeah. Dave, where do you get your inspiration from when it comes to picking a legion? Not so much the color scheme. We'll get to the color scheme later because that's an even harder part, I think. That's like stage three of picking this. Uh, but where do you find inspiration for picking what legion you want to do? Oh, man, it's so hard. Honestly, I do. You know, We'll get to this, the paint scheme itself later, but I, I kind of go... If you're not really huge into the fluff, then you're obviously going to want to go, you know, digging around some fluff. You're going to want to do some reading, see what legion just kind of like kind of pulls you in. That's that's usually how I like to do it, but it's kind of like a 50-50 fight. If I'm not building a themed army around fluff or a legion that I just really like the fluff of, then I'm going to go for the paint scheme that I really that's really pulls me in. So I, I, two, two different ways. I mean, you, you can either be the fluff bunny and, 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 and go after the fluff and pick the Legion what works with you, or you can go with the paint scheme that pulls you in the most. That's, that's usually where, where, you know, where I, where, kind of where I fall. Very, right. I think that's what's great is we both have, uh, what is it, diametric, diposing? I don't know, whatever. <laughs> but you like to go for paint schemes right? Yes. You'll see a project and you'll say, man, I really want to fucking try painting yellow. And you'll go out and you'll do an Imperial Fist Army, right? And then I think after you've decided you want to paint yellow, you'll then look into the Imperial Fist for like, so you can be that rivet counter where you're making sure that, you know, you're making sure the paint scheme's right and it lines up with what's in the fluff. Yeah, definitely. On the other hand, I am the other way where I will read a book and this is the biggest part, like the hardest thing for me is to read a book and not want to go out and start that army immediately. Yeah. When I read Mechanicum, I went out and I finished it, and I was like, I have to start a Mechanicum army now. So <laughs> I bought 3,000 points of Mechanicum, and they have been sitting in the box for the past two years still. You know? Uh, but whenever I do get around to it, I've already got the theme. They are Loyalist Mechanicum from the forge that was talked about earlier uh, with the volcano that was reignited. I forget who leads it. What's her name? Oh. Ah. Oh. Yeah, See, yeah, I know the name. This is I why know the we name. needed. This is why we need David and and Jason here so we could <laughs> reference this fluff material. <laughs> Been two years since I read the book, so I can't remember her name. But yeah, she's awesome. Dahlia Cephalia, or no, that's not it. That's not uh, it. Something. I know who you're talking about. I I read that and was I one of my favorite books. Yeah. Um, 
anyway, so the whole thing was going to be based around her, and it was just going to be just a bunch of cool shit, right? And the other thing, I read uh, Master Mankind. Now, this mm-hmm. was... Uh, Master Mankind came out after Burning of Prospero box set came out, and I had already told myself I was never going to do Custodes. I thought they looked stupid. I thought the rules for them <laughs> were just dumb. I was like, these guys just seem broken, you know? And then I read Master Mankind, and I was like, holy fuck. Diocletian is the fucking man. I have got to start a <laughs> Custodes army. So that's, yeah, I went and started a Custodes army then. Um, awesome. So I'm real based off the fluff. For me, I read Shattered Legions, and I had already liked Iron Hands from when I first started. Um, but I read Shattered Legions, and I said, I'm going to do this project 100%, no doubt about it, which is why I'm doing the Shattered Legion project now. Um, Jesse, what about you? How do you, how do you go about picking a theme? Because I know you've, you've dabbled in a couple ideas before, but your main thing yeah. is Dark Angels. How did you yeah. go about Dark Angels? So when I first got into 40K a couple of years ago, I think 6th edition just came out, and it had the Dark Angels starter set with the Chaos guys. And I honestly had no real clue of what Warhammer was other than just this tabletop board game that a bunch of nerds played down at the Dragon's Den. I was like, try it out. The, I fell in love instantly with the Terminators. Like putting oh, those yeah, together. And like, colored Terminators, wow. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And they had all the Dark Angel bits and whatnot. And I start delving a little bit into the lore and things. I'm like, these guys are pretty cool. And then, I don't know, I never really clicked in 40k as far as getting projects done i never really had a full army in 40k but then um burning not burning prospero um betrayal at kalf came out and i knew a few guys who played horus heresy and whatnot i was like well this sounds like it's about as good as any chance to get into the game so i decided oh, what legion well dark angels is pretty cool let me check out these you know dark angels again I don't, I wasn't really, I mean, I enjoyed the Dark Angels as a Legion in 40k, wasn't too keen on painting black, but at the same time, just reading some of the lore and just realizing that Horus was scared of the Dark Angels. He sent two entire legions just to distract them while he moved on to Terra. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, and just their nasty weaponry and just being the the forerunners, basically, of all the Space Marines. It was it was kind of a neat thing. Yeah, so, definitely. Plus, and, you know, the, like the whole knightlyhood and all that stuff. Yes. I really dig that that theme of them. I'm, I'm delving a little bit more into that myself. I originally started as just straight-up Terran, straight-up and down yeah, Dark Angels. Yeah, your Space but, Marines were very standard-line troops when you first yeah. started. You can look at now how you are taking on, even in your like talking modeling-wise, you're modeling them more in their Calibanite heraldry, which is awesome. Yeah, yep. And yeah, it's, it's been a lot of fun. Been using some more 40k Dark Angels bits, some of the Ravenwing bikes, throwing them together. And yeah, it's just been. So you're when you pick Dark Angels, we'll, uh-huh. we'll I guess round this up as saying like, you already ha- were familiar with them. They were someone right. you knew. So it was like, well, I'll just go with what I know sort of thing. Yeah, and it was more of a, what I knew about lore because right. God, God only knows I wasn't like, man, black all day long. Let's do that. <laughs> I fucking love painting black, man. Yeah. It, it was definitely a labor of love for the actual Legion itself. So, 
And your paint scheme has come so far from when you first started, which was, I think it was uh, Mechanicum Standard Gray with washes over it. And like now you've gotten really skilled with the airbrush and it's just completely evolved. The, the airbrush had been a game changer for me completely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And just managing my washes better and everything. Getting everything blended together. its It's been real nice. I'm, right. I'm happier with what I've been doing now than I had been before. Yeah, yeah. And I think, Dave, was it you that was talking about how as a project will go on, you'll find you'll get better at the project and you won't really enjoy the yeah, just you had before, right? But I, I The natural that. progression... Always, you, you always, always gets me. I'm like, fuck, this looks so much better now than it did when yep. I started on it. And I was like, I want to strip it all. Exactly. That's that's me exactly. <laughs> that, my friends, is why I can never keep an army for myself. They always end up getting sold. Yeah. Like I said before, I'm swapping all my old Mark IV Burning the Prospero. Ah, Betrayal of Kalth Tacticals for Burning the Prospero Mark III just because, one, the Mark III just looks baller. Yes. And two, it's like I... Tired of looking at my poorly painted black Mark IV guys. <laughs> Natural yeah, progression. And, and yeah, rather than, and what's great is you still have those those previous dudes for larger APOC style games. Yeah. And mega battles, yeah. you know. No, but another that's, nice that's thing. not a bad idea is phasing units out, maybe not necessarily yep. stripping them. I mean, if you can, good, but I'm terrible at stripping them. I never get them as nah, clean as I like to, you know? Oh, what yeah. I like with the, and again, with the Mark III is because of their, I guess, their wider trim on their shoulder pads. So I can get a nice silver trim and wash it and actually make it look like it's dirty. Yes, yeah. sir. The Mark, the Mark IV is just that one little line strip, and you, you can't really do much with that, in my yeah. opinion, for me anyway. No, it's, it's really hard to, to get highlights on because it's so Oh, good. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've basically, got, I've got. you just put your brightest silver there, and you're like, yeah, that's its own highlight, you know? Yeah. yeah, pretty much. You try to edge highlight that, and then, oh, you know, your brush moves one section over, then you got to paint the whole shoulder pad over again. Yeah, yeah. yep. No, that Mark III is awesome. It it basically paints itself, practically. So let me ask you, um, yeah. I know you have a couple Mark Ones, don't you? Or, I'm sorry, Mark II Marines. Were you, as a Dark Angel player, sad to see them discontinue the line? I know this is a different modeling question but still in the same i mean if you started an army um, for the models and then to see it discontinued you know i was a little sad but at the same time if i was honest with myself there was no way i was going to get a whole mark ii dark angel army it is just not in my budget yeah that's um, fine. the yeah. mark ii looks really good so especially mark, now yeah, yeah. <laughs> especially but the mark three for me is a perfectly fine uh substitute for it like it has that old armor looking feel to it. And, you know, if again, if I was really honest with myself, Mark II and Mark III off cuff don't look too fairly uh, different. Yeah, there's very subtle differences. It's really there is. You got, you got a few more links in your leg armor. Helmet's a little shaped a little bit different. But for the most part, it's pretty much the same. Yeah. So, honestly, no, I'm, not, I'm not too worried about Mark II phased out. I would love to see some Forge World transfers at some yeah. point. Yeah, it is. The God one. knows I've been waiting for those for a long time. And I, I finally got to the point where it's like, yeah, these guys, I'm just going to leave your shoulder pad blank and I'm going to wait for them. Yeah, that's all you can that's do. That's all I'm going to do. I'm, I, well, I'm lying to myself. I did try to hand brush a little uh, red Dark Angel wings and I am terrible at freehand. 
it's just a little bit of practice, I know, but at the same time, it, it looks ugly as fuck. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I'll probably just paint them black again real quick, slap on the transfers when, when, when they finally come. Well, uh, hey, yeah. if they do another for a uh, uh, 40k preview or games workshop preview this year, mm-hmm. Nova, like they did yes. last year, and they have a set question section. We'll plant a bunch of people in the audience <laughs> to ask right, for Dark Angel transfers. Listeners, if you're listening and you're gonna be at Nova, we're asking you to just win that. And, and if you ha- they happen to do this again, if that scenario pops up, just ask, when are they going to release Dark Angel transfers? And if we get enough people in one sitting to ask for Dark Angel transfers, <laughs> they might they might take notice, all right? It's, it's a pitiful hashtag. plea, but it's a plea nonetheless. We'll get a, we'll get a hashtag going all over <laughs> social media. The 40K ones just do not do it for me. I refuse to use that because I've, I've seen Forge World transfers. They could be so much better. Yeah, they are. They really are. The ones you put, I remember you painted some for... Uh, my Tartaros, and you have the, yes, the 40K, and they look awesome, but you got them all um, weathered up and dirty looking to where they really blend well in, but yeah, I'm looking forward to some genuine Forge World stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would love to see them too, just because I feel yeah. like complete the decal collection, right? Yeah, I'm a sucker for decals. Yeah, I saw the book that you, were show- <laughs> that you showed on your... Uh, uh, black label thing, yeah. and uh, I went yeah, out and man. bought my own book and did the exact same thing. I was like, "Fuck, why have I not done that?" Hey, you, know, you know, it's one of those things that you're like, "Holy shit, why did I not think of this?" I actually yeah. stole it from someone else as well. Did you? Yeah, great, <laughs> I love it. Great. I'm also Pat curious. saw it, and Pat was like, "I have to fucking steal that now." <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And I'm also so know the dark. I don't know about other chapters, but I know the dark angels have the sacred standards in 40k. Or at least I used to. I don't know what Eighth has done to him now. Or like the the Banner of Devastation, sure, yeah, and things like that. I wonder if they're going to incorporate those somehow into the Legion as well. Oh yeah, that'd be really cool. Like have a banner for each wing would be kind of neat. Yeah, yeah. Good, like they get their own special herald. Anyways, we're yeah. wildly off track now, guys. Oh yeah, oh yeah. But I love Terrible. it. Anyway, let's get back on. We're talking about picking your armies. You can do it as. Maybe you're just coming in, and you've played Ultramarines forever, so you don't really know what the Ultramarines are, but you know that you've played them, and maybe you've never even painted an Ultramarine, right? Like, you're coming from being one of those guys in 40k who played a Grey Army, but you're like, I I at least know what the Ultramarines are, and I know who the Primarch is, so let me go ahead and start there, right? Or you can be a guy who sees a color or an army, and is like, I need to paint that. Or maybe you're a guy who reads a book, and you feel like you need to paint an army based off of that. For example, Jason's not on to talk about it, but um, his militia are based off of the bad guys from Killzone. So, yep. uh, you know, he played Killzone, thought those dudes were super cool, and made an army off of it, you know? Wherever you draw inspiration from, you gotta ride that, though. So if you're take an inspiration from a book you have to i don't i don't know what would you say dave uh, i would say like try to personify that book as a theme right so now we're moving in more yes. into themes so it's like if you're going to do a custodes army that's set in the webway 
I'm using this from personal experience, you're going to want to theme that whole army around it. So um, they didn't really have too many tanks until the end of uh, um, Master Mankind when, uh, what was his name, Jesse? The uh, Sorry, I just sneezed. What'd you say? What was the Martian dude? Oh, Arkenland? Arkenland's Raider, right? That's yeah. when they started getting tanks coming in, that kind of stuff. In the beginning, it talks about they're mostly on foot. So my theme was I was going to have a lot of custodes on foot. And I was going to have the army being led by Diocletian, which I ended up using Ixon Hale, just because he was the only fancy character we had at the time. And then he had, um, what was it? Um, the Not the Nobles of Terra. They were called the um, Lords of Terra. Yep. And that was his Heteron Guard detachment that he had with him. Uh, and then I had some regular custodes scattered throughout. And Diocletian has a little girlfriend who's a sister <laughs> of Silence. So I made her in the list also. And she never talks about being with a cadre or anything like that. She's just seen with Diocletian. So I put her with Diocletian, you know. Um, also in the book. They're an item. About, yeah, they are. <laughs> um, they also have House Viridian, which is then... I added Lords of War to the army mm -hmm. uh, in the form of knights, uh, which were painted up in House Viridian. And Sitting proudly on my shelf right now. Indeed. Indeed. Um, so, yeah, you know, you, you think of a book and you take themes out of it. That's how I would suggest a book version. If you're doing a book, you take items that you've read from that book and you put them into model form. Dave, Go about explaining your method on how you put your armies together then. Well, typically I'll sit, this is what I do. I'll, I'll typically, I'll sit down and I'll think of a theme. I'll pick my, I'll just use my iron hands for instance. Okay. I, I really like the paint scheme. I went for the more uh, difficult paint scheme using the forge world method, using a lot of the Tamiya clears and such. So I picked a, picked a theme that I thought would work with them, which is a lot of tanks because it's fluffy. They, you know, they have tanks. It's, it's Iron Hands, for Christ's sake. Yeah. So, uh, so I'll, I'll sit down, and my preferred method of building army list is Quartermaster. So I hopped on Quartermaster. I built me a list that I thought would be good, I thought was thematic, and that is what I, would, I, would, I, I built. So I went and just bought it all and then started painting it all. So... Mine's yeah. a little more boring, I guess you could say, but I, I do a lot of list hammering. Like I do a lot of list hammering um, before I actually commit. And, you know, you, you someone new coming into it, you're going to want to ask around. You're going to want to ask for help. Uh, but you're always going to need TAC Marines. So you start with TAC Marines and go from there. Definitely. So that's, how I, that's how I did this per se. Right, which is a, another great method is just to – Sit down, plan it out on paper first, exactly. Make sure you've got all your bases covered. You know, make sure you've got plenty of troops to score. Uh, you've got a decent HQ. You've got a tool for every uh, uh, obstacle you might face. So you've got anti-air and you've got anti-armor. You know, you well, your boxes. And then you stick, I think, with the theme of the army, which as Iron Hands, they, they love machines and they love armor. So it's pretty easy yeah. to fill the gaps with that, you know? Yeah, I, I didn't necessarily go for the uh, the, the multi-toolbox list. I, I tried to keep it as just fluffy as possible. And, gotcha. you know, I don't I don't really have an answer for air. I don't really have an answer for a few things. 
just because I feel like it's I, I wanted to keep it fluffy and thermatic. Um, there you go. Okay. So that's how I. That's usually how I do it. I, I, I typically knowing going into it, I played a lot of games, so typically going into it, I know the type of stuff I'm going to face. You're going to want a couple things to. You're always going to want to have an answer for a Spartan. I mean, that's that's just a given. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You're always going to find at least one Leviathan. <laughs> so, yeah. We, we, those are about the only toolbox uh, needs that I've always brought. And the rest of it, I just try to say fluffy. You know what? Because I, mean, I don't, I don't build my lists to win. I don't really care. I mean, I'm just happy to have my painted shit on the table with another cool dude and, and rolling dice. Yeah, definitely. Now, Jesse, you're a third version of this, right? Which is great why we have you here because you built <laughs> your list based off of a affable right of war, which is another method you can do. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So. Right now, as it stands, the Dark Angels, who are lacking a lot of special rules, they do have two rights of war. And um, I remember when I was still just starting to come in and learn to play and everything, I had my uh, Betrayal Kalth guys running around. And then I played with you guys, and everyone just had like at least 500 points of armor and stuff. And I'm just getting slammed. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> Yeah, okay, I see how this game works. Centurion, like Literally getting your shit. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, they had Dracosans running around. They had Spartans. And I'm here with just you know a few Contemporary Dreadnoughts as basically my heaviest stuff I got. I'm like, oh, oh, this is yeah. this is an arms race. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so yeah. Luck- yeah. Luckily, uh, Book 6 dropped and had Right of War for, uh, for tanks and stuff. And so... Yeah, it was a, it was at the beginning of the year where we normally have a large Christmas game. And at that point I was like, okay, I have like it was like five, six months before the Christmas game. I'm going to build myself and paint myself a full blown twenty five hundred point army for the first time in my life. I'm gonna do it. So yeah, picked up probably spent probably a couple of weeks just figuring out a list I want to build. That would be fun. Had a bunch of Predators, Vindicators, and Medusas. Those were my heavy support. And uh, everything else was pretty much filler. Yeah. Right. So, so you based your list off of, as everybody knows, the um, Iron Wing Protocol? Is that what it is? Yep, Iron Wing Protocol. Yeah. Which, so, is- um, which is great because it's another way to theme an army because, I mean, really, the the fluff and the theme is built into a right of war. There's no exactly. like thinking about it. You're just like, for example, Iron Hands, uh, head of the Gorgon. Like you don't have to think about a theme. It's just like, Hey, your tacticals can take land Raiders as dedicated transports. If we're giving you that option, wink, wink, you should probably do it. You know, yeah. Yeah. right. Of wars, right. Of wars are awesome because they give you the fluffiness and give you some cool game benefits for doing so. Definitely. That's yeah. They, they take care of a lot them. of, they take care of a lot of that for you. It's really mm-hmm. great. So yeah, that's that was basically how I built my list. Now, right of war, uh, Iron Wing Protocol itself is kind of a tricky right of war to get set because there's a lot of specifics, such as like all your infantry has to be in a tank at the start of the game. So instantly, that cuts out pretty much any apothecary you want to stick with your tacticals because they're not going to fit in the yeah. rhino. And things not, like that. Not until the termite, and that changes That's the right. game. <laughs> is a termite a uh, dedicated transport for tacticals? No, no, but it is a. Okay, but you can still you still buy. It. Okay, 
yeah, it's fast attack, fast attack choice. Okay, gotcha. Thank you. So yeah, basically just an underground dread claw, and pretty, um, much. pretty much. So yeah, little things like that, and you have to have like half your army has to be tanks, or half your units have to be tank units before you can take other stuff. It, it's it's a tricky one. So it took a lot of finagling, but I finally got it down, and lo and behold. I was painting up to like the last few days and yeah, after that, it is very cool. Once you have like a 2,500 point army fully ready painted, it takes so much stress off of you when oh, you just oh, want to take pickup games and know, stuff. You can, you can go play, you can go to Nova yep. with and the best that and be good to go. Yep. And you don't have this huge workload just laying on you. You have the freedom to just, Hey, this unit looks cool. Let me buy and paint this up and just add it on or just swap things out with your core army. And yeah, it makes things so much easier. Yep. Like right now I knew last year I had some things I wanted to do for Nova, but like, I was like, well, I got my iron wing. I got my iron wing army, so I'm not too, uh, too sweating about it. The worst part was trying to figure out smaller point values and whatnot, but yeah, that was good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And just like this year, I'm just I got a few projects on the workbench, but I'm not sweating one bit. It was like cuz I I know what I can bring if worse comes to worse. So, yeah. Yeah, anything else is just extra at this point, right? Icing on the cake. Yep. So, now we're going to talk about the third stage, right? And that is picking your color scheme. So, iron hands, for example, right? That's a great one. There are so many ways to paint iron hands. You can do the Forge World method like Dave did, which is um, a lot of layering, like a lot of layering yeah. with clears. Um, and then you can do your standard like black with a zenith of gray and then just knock mm -hmm. out your silvers and then do like the white bolter case, which some people do. Um, but you can always add your own flavor to it. I've seen some people do like a red uh, arm and shoulder pad because that's for a particular clan. Um, but yeah, I think painting scheme is the hardest. So guys, tell me how you go around or go about picking your paint scheme now. Oh lord. <laughs> I know. Well, I'll go with me. For me, a lot yeah. of, for me, Dark Angels in the Horus Heresy are are pretty straightforward for the most part. Like the Terran ones, mostly red and black. A few check marks here and there. If you want to go with the Calibanite Dark Angels, that's where you can kind of let your creativity flow a little bit more. Yeah. It also, if you wanted, if you can get a hold of like some uh, orc orc uh, decal sheets, those checkerboard yeah. checkerboard all over those things that you could use for Dark Angels. Man, they were I great. I will say Fallout Hobbies or also Fallout has Hobbies, yep. has some of the best water slide transfers check marks that I've ever used. I love them. They're super malleable. The white is nice and crisp. And, you know, once you lay them down, just a small little dull coat, and you it's like part of it. Oh, yeah. Fallout Hobbies, give us stuff. But, um, yeah. <laughs> so, <Sponsor us> please. <laughs> but, yeah, for the most part, Dark Angels don't have the wild, crazy schemes as some others do. But, like, if you want to do heraldries and whatnot, if you're good at freehand, it's definitely a... Definitely a place where you can let your creativity fly. Yeah. Right. Like, I feel like for them, Dark Angels in particular, it's more of a modeling opportunity, right? 
Uh, yeah, their color so. scheme because like if you model them, you can model them with their cloaks on or with their wings on their heads. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're they're they get a lot of fancy shit going on. Or you can have your standard tactical line or tactical line marines, that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, fun thing I found out. Um, I was listening to to a uh, audiobook by the Lion's Command, the Raven Wing in 30k. Their heraldry has the the uh, raven claw holding the sword, but the shield is uh, white and blue. Oh, really? Like a quartered shield, white and blue. So I was like, ah, oh, I didn't know we can throw a little blue in there too. That'd be kind of fun to do. Change up so, that color palette, yeah. Exactly. So Same who knows thing. when they throw out the other wings, who knows what kind of crazy stuff we can do with that. Right, yeah. Maybe uh, uh, Dreadwing will be like a Phosphex green on their shoulder pad. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, Dave, how do you go about picking your color schemes then? So, one of the things that has just drawn me into 30 Gay as a whole was the dark, the grim dark, the grim industrial. So, I like a lot of weathering. I like a lot of just beat up stuff. Um, so, going into it, let me use, we'll just use my Imperial Fist, you know, for instance. Whenever I painted the Imperial Fist, I, I drew a lot of inspiration from just really dark, beat up, you know, dug in Marines. So I did a lot of weathering on my, on, uh, on mine. And, uh, that, that's kind of how I chose to do that color scheme. Uh, as far as like wh- how I painted them, it's, it's a little, it's a little in depth. Um, <laughs> uh, but, but I mean like, uh, did you just sit down and you knew exactly how you were going to paint them? Or did you go about, you, you did a bunch of test models to begin with? Uh, test, did you, I did a couple. Did you, did you look did around online for like source material or anything like that? Yeah, I did a couple test models. Uh, and I, I do, I used, uh, <sighs> on a blank on it. Okay, here we go. AK streaking grime. Now that stuff is designed for yellow vehicles. So, I knew that I wanted him to be beat to piss. And the effect that streaking grime gives is a nice, dirty, grummy look. So I pulled a lot of source off offline. I, you know, I've, I looked in a couple books. Uh, and uh, that's where I got a lot of my inspiration for what, what style I wanted to paint my, my Marines. And then there's a plethora of uh, people out there who have, who are awesome painters that you can draw inspiration from a lot of different legions. Uh, so if you wanted to do a do a quick Google search of let's just say ultramarines, you you will find pages upon pages of different styles of paint jobs for ultramarines. Definitely, there's a lot of a lot of things to pull from. Metallic, bright blue, yeah, so many different ways you can do it. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen, you know, clear blues and that kind of stuff uh, also used. Yeah, I can't wait for my Matt Cain class because that's the color I'm going to do. I'm going to do Ultramarines. Oh, yeah, yeah. Cannot His wait. This shit is just fire, man. Yeah, that, that's, my, that's, my, that's my idol. <laughs> <laughs> um, so for me, I would say that uh, I, I once heard a Forge World painter say that Get a scheme that is easily replicated and is captures the idea of what you want and then replicate it throughout an army, right? Yeah. So for me, I did a bunch of 
Iron Hand test models. I did some that um, were just like standard black and then silver and then a wash over the silver, right? So those are very easy to do. They take a couple of seconds almost. Um, mm-hmm. But they just are lacking in depth and that kind of stuff, you know? Yeah. I then did Dave's method, which is amazing, but I felt it took too long for the amount of effort I was putting into it. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, and like, like you said, you went through 30 pots of smoke already. Uh, I Once I finish up the last little bit, I'll be right around 4,500 points, and it'll be 30 pots right. of just, that is just one of the many colors it takes to pull the scheme off. And that's yeah. like, that's $100 in just one color. <laughs> right. So I didn't have a, those kind of assets at the time. Um, so I did a whole bunch of test models, and the one I ended up sticking with was one that I had only finished halfway, I would say, because I was going to do like a finer etch highlight on metals and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But after applying pigments and then the decals and um, the matte varnish just all seemed to come together really well. Yeah. And the fact was I was able to do it quickly. So for me, that that's it, is find a scheme, do a whole bunch of test models until you find one that has what you're looking for. It captures enough detail that from three feet away on the table, you're going to be able to play with it. My army's never going to win any awards, right? Uh, but it's going to look good on a table, and I'm going to have fun playing with it. You know what I mean? That's the important part. Yeah, that's the for important me. part, for sure. Um, and real, like, like that's it. You don't have to paint to Golden Demon Standard. I know a lot of people, I meet mean, a lot of new people who are like, I'll never be that good. And it's like, you don't have to be that good. You just have to be as good as you can do. And what That's you got to realize is those golden painting demons, uh, those golden demon painters, they're not painting entire armies like that from no. what I've seen. Yeah, I think the largest they, they have is a unit, right? Yeah, like they will squad for judging. They'll put months of work into just a handful of models. They're they're painting. It's a whole different aspect of the hobby. Exactly. Where me, I'm trying to paint three thousand points in three months. You're gonna you know? paint it up to tabletop quality, just so you feel good about putting on the table. Make it yeah. look good. Yeah. Um, so, like, on my iron hands, if you start to look close, I have edge highlighted the leather in a brown, just because just it breaks up the black and metal. Um, but, yeah, really, like, like the whole edge highlighting thing, I cheat. I just do a dry brush of lead belcher over the whole thing. Um, so, on Mark III, it catches the raised parts and makes it look like I spent time edge highlighting everything, when really, mm-hmm. I just did a dry brush. That was it. And then yeah. I wash the whole thing in null oil, and that's the armor done. You know what I mean? That's it. Um, yeah. And then I think the decals, for me at least, carry it a long way, too. Definitely. I, I abuse decals as much as I can. I, I take full advantage of them. You know, Iron Hands, is this, this has been the one Legion that I normally don't like the, the, uh, the, the, the decals. with Not the decals, but the, the shoulder pads that Forge World sells. It has the Legions on them. I normally don't like those shoulder pads just because I'm such a huge fan of the decals. But Iron Hands has been the one Legion that I found that works really well when painting it. Because you can, you know, you hit it with bolt gun metal, hit it with uh, nolan oil, and then hit it with a dry brush, or like you said, with with dry brush of like a real bright silver. And those shoulder pads look really good. Mm-hmm. But every other Legion, I, I'm I'm a huge fan of the decals. Yeah. I would be too. I'm sure you would remember. <laughs> hashtag, 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 hashtag. 
Hashtag where are the DA transfers, Forge World? Yeah. <laughs> we'll get a whole bunch of hashtags going. <laughs> um, but yeah, so those are other methods, I think. Uh, sometimes, like Jesse said, you can just go for what it shows in the books. Just replicate it to the best of your ability. You know, if that is just a standard black, or if that's a black and now you're learning airbrush and you're adding in a couple of gray highlights to it, you know, go for it. Uh, exactly. We'll say if you're painting black, I found that Minotaur Coal is a great subtle highlight to your flat black. So I like, use... It's a very dark gray. Yeah, I but, use black, and then I do... Um, ger- what is it? German gray. Mm-hmm. Red. And German gray is Vallejo paint that is yeah. um, a very dark gray. It's equivalent to Eschen gray. So if you want to use Citadel paints, I tell everybody all the time, just paint the whole model in Citadel gray. Or you can Zenith highlight German gray. You're going to end up with the exact same effect. Once you apply the dry brushing in the wash, you can't tell the difference between painting the entire model in color or doing a Zenith highlight. Just with an airbrush, the Zenith highlight, you use half the amount of paint. Yeah, I I do something a little similar, but I I, I Zenith a highlight with a model color. It's a Vallejo color, uh, black gray. Yeah, I didn't know they had black gray. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, black gray. It's really it that sounds like a good uh, mid midpoint. Yeah, it's the darker it's the darker on the spectrum, and it works really well. And even if you wanted to, you could you could airbrush it over with known oil, and that and it brings it back down even yep. more. The blacker, the slightly darker black. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> That's like the if you guys ever watch the uh, Parks and Rec, where uh, they're like, "Hey, what color is this to you?" And he's like, uh, "It's black." He's like, "Oh, you're such an idiot." No, it's charcoal. You know, and then they go on for I think a good two minutes showing him different colors of black, and he's like, "Guys, they're all black." And they're like, "No, this you're so idiot. This is moonlight, what fucking darkness or something." You know. <laughs> so yeah, uh, now there are some really really solid painters out there, and I try to take advice for them, but most of the time I don't hear the advice until after I've already started a theme. And I'm like, "Well, shit, no going back now." You know. Hey, I wonder how. Oh, wait, too late. Because uh, what was it? Um, the guy from Age of Darkness. Um, I forget his name off the top of my head. Is it Mike? Is he their painter? Oh, no. You're talking about Miles. Miles. That's Miles it, yeah. from Little Legend Studios. Yes. Check him out. He's awesome. Um, if you haven't checked out his patron, he's got an awesome patron. Uh, just like Dave, you know. Uh, both <laughs> offer great services for what you're paying for. Um, like Dave, for example, right? You're metallic. Like how you do the metals. Uh-huh. Fuck, that's so awesome. And I was like, I'm totally gonna do that on some nights. And I was like, wait, I've already painted Jesse's nights. I can't go back. <laughs> and, you know. But I got some armatures now, so I'm definitely gonna try that, you know. There it just, is, man. And I bought there a buckload of uh battle foam and I kept all the inserts like you mentioned, and I was like, That's fucking genius. You pay a couple extra bucks to get bricks and bricks of extra foam to use. Yeah. I, I've got like this huge chunk from a uh a Lehman Russ. Yeah, that's exactly. And uh, it's lasted me a good little while. (laughs) Yeah, mine is a glaive cutout, so that should last me a pretty good time, you know? Yep. Um, But Miles will say, I've heard him say, if you're doing black, start with a dark blue, actually. Because the problem is with a black, you can't shade down from black. But if you start with a very dark blue, you can still shade in black. That's interesting. Yeah, it is. So, I know if I ever do a, another black army, that's what I'll do. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I've got like 
off the top of my head, probably 6,000 points of Dark Angels in all sorts of shapes. I, I don't think I can go back. <laughs> Another thing, dude. They released the, um, oh, God damn. What is that uh, Martian Green called from Green Stuff World? There's oh, I got one right here, right here in front of me. It yeah. is Martian Green. Yeah. So <laughs> that Martian Green stuff, like you said. That Martian Green stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and that stuff is so badass. And they released that, I want to say, after it already finished my troops for my Iron Hands. And I'm like, I'm not going to go back in time and unfuck this because I would totally love that Martian <laughs> Green. But I'd already had like yeah. the base of the army done. I already had an HQ in my two troops. You know, I was like, I'm in deep. I can't go back. So yeah, <laughs> when you're picking a color scheme, uh, that see see how I brought that out. I w- brought it all around, guys. Brought it all back together. Uh, when you're picking a color scheme, take your time, plan it out, think about it, find a theme. If you like the scale model miniature aspect of the horse heresy, which Dave and I, I think, both really do. You know, we both use a lot of pigments and um, enamel washes and oils and that kind of stuff. Fancy. Um, mm. Just because I like... That's what drew me to it. I remember uh, painting models with my dad as a kid, and he was, like, way more advanced than me. I'm there, oh, nice. you know. Um, but he did scale modeling, so I, I wanted mm-hmm. to do that, too, for this army. Um, but, yeah, so if that's the theme you want, if you want to do edge highlighting, whatever it is, do some research on it. Get some test models out um, and let your creative flag fly, guys. You know, if yeah. you want to do a crazy blue chevron shield over your Raven Guard, even if it's not in a book, fucking do it, man. Maybe it's that company's like little extra bit, you know? Yeah. Oh, also for a little plug for your Nova event for Strike Team. Oh, man. Like, strike if you're wor- If you're worried about investing in an entire army in a certain paint scheme, paint up a little strike team. Yeah, I'm actually going to do a, um, my goal is to do a Imperium Secundus strike team with Ultramarines, Blood Angels, and Dark Angels. Fuck yes, man. And uh, I'm looking forward to because I've never painted blue armor. I've never painted red armor, and I'm looking to have a lot of fun with it. That's going to be good. Can't yeah, I'm looking it. forward to it. But yeah, there you go. There's another way you plan the army. You just think like, hey, man, I read about Imperium Segundus, and uh, I want to build a tiny little strike team off of that. Paint all three of those legions together, whichever one you found was the most fun to paint. Maybe, hey, you start a whole legion based off of that, you know? Yeah. Try them all. Yeah. Try <laughs> them all. Pokemon. <laughs> but uh, I, th- I guess that kind of wraps up how to pick a legion then, right? Like you can do with yeah. the fluff, you can do a color scheme, you can just go with what you know, and then when you come down to your theme, you can use a right of war, you can use a book, or you can just use, if you're a veteran player, you know what works. Go with that, you know? Um, Another thing, never then, feel, if you're not having fun painting your army, don't do it. Yeah, you're yeah, painting stop. the wrong thing. Immediately yeah. stop, yeah. Because yeah, yes. it's just going to drag you down and you're just going to feel miserable. And that's not what this hobby is about. It's a hobby. Don't make exactly. it like a, a obligation or anything like that. I mean, you should feel obligated to paint your stuff. You should enjoy it while you're doing it. Exactly. Big time, yeah. But I think that about does it, guys. I think that's going to wrap it up. Uh, Jesse, do we have anything else for the cast then? No, I think we can just go right into plugs and uh, wrap this up. Yeah. Um, so. Well, uh, Dave, you got any plugs you want to plug? 
you know, we've already mentioned them. I'll plug them. Miles, the Little Legend Studios, man. Guys, check him out. He's an awesome dude. He's got an awesome Patreon. And he, you will learn some shit from this man. This man, he's yeah. he's he's big, he's beautiful, and he smells good from what I'm told by multitudes <laughs> of people. Uh, so uh, That's yeah, good go things. Yeah, go check him out. And as well, of course, I'm going to plug myself. Shameless as hell, I'm going to plug Do myself. It. Absolutely. Uh, Black Label Painting, check me out on Facebook. Give me a like. Give me a share because I like to give stuff away. Uh I'm giving away an airbrush for my patron or to my patrons. So mm. if you're on my Patreon, I'm giving away a Sotar 2020 at the end of next month. Uh, nice. So, I have one of those and it is a damn impressive airbrush. Yeah, man, they're fun. They're awesome. I, I really like the, the anything yeah. Badger to me is I, I love Ken Badger's products. So I'll plug Ken Badger too. So check out Ken Badger's airbrush. Yeah, you know, we definitely need to plug a uh, successful manufacturing company. <laughs> I love it. Because <laughs> yeah. uh, yeah. I just got a Sotar 2020 myself, man. And I can't fucking believe just the amount of detail I can get with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, if anything happens to that airbrush, if it, anything wears out, like the needle bearings inside the airbrush, you just pay for the shipping, ship it to Ken Badger and with a little note. Uh, you, you can look up their address online with a little note what's going on with it. They will rebuild the airbrush, put new needles in it, and send it back to you free Shut of charge. The fuck up. Are you only thing wow. you pay, only thing you pay for is the shipping to and from. You can't beat Damn. that. You cannot beat that. Yeah, Badger products, man, all the way. I, I'm a huge opponent of Badger airbrushes. Very. All cool. right, Jesse, you got anything to plug? Uh, yeah. So uh, plug in his podcast. Give us a like. Give us uh, some feedback. Definitely uh, check us out on iTunes as well, because that is a very good place to get feedback and just get some get out there, basically. Yeah. And um, also, I guess it's official now, but at the Nova Open Thursday night, the Remembrances Retreat will be hosting the keg night for two hours, 530 to 730. We will be there. Come say hi. We're going to be running the mics. Might have a little live podcast. I don't know. Maybe we'll play some filk music. I don't know. <laughs> it's going to be a good time, though. So stop by and say hi. Uh, and then I will go ahead and uh, plug myself with Lancaster Painting, of course. I just oh, put yeah. up some BFG shit, so that's cool. You won't see any more of that since I'm done with it. <laughs> uh, but I got another project coming up. Mm. Um, I got to start getting some tanks ready for Nova. I got a fuck ton of walkie boys and I need some drivey boys. (laughs) (laughs) Iron hands. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, there's one Raven guard tank, a rhino. I I had to have a dedicated transport for my, um, more Dathan. God forbid they scout (laughs) infiltrate or they infiltrate, then scout on foot and then I lose seize the initiative or I can't seize the initiative and I have to go second mm. they get fucking nuked if they're not inside of a rhino. It sounds like you speak from experience with this. Nope. Wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't know. I've always been successful. Every time. It's always <laughs> as it plans. It just works. It just works. It just works. Very cool. But yeah, definitely. Rhino needed. Awesome. And with that, this is the Remembrances Retreat. I'm Jesse. I'm Will. And I'm Dave. Have a good night, folks. Bye.